Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Creepy. Man, as much as I knew about Top Gun two weeks ago is as much as I don't know about this movie. I'm just saying. It came out literally like 48 hours ago, so I have yet to see the movie, but I'm excited to be able to use it as our hook for part six of At the Movies, Where the Crawdads Sing. And to be really truthful, I kept calling it Where the Crawdads Die until like three days ago. So I, yeah, I was kind of confused on that. But uh, this is based off of the best-selling book that came out in 2018 by Deliah Owens, in which the book is kind of like taken the world by storm. And now they have made it into a movie. Uh, a lot of suspense, a lot of just intrigue and things that go along with that. Uh, but let me give you a, just a kind of another a quick defin- or description that goes along with the trailer we just saw. Uh, for years, rumors of the Marsh Girl have haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet town on the North Carolina coast. Kaya Clark, played by Daisy Edgar Jones, who had been abandoned by her family as a child in the marsh, is sensitive and intelligent. She has survived for years alone in the marsh that she calls home, finding friends in the goals and lessons in the sand. When two young men from town become intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to a whole new life until the unthinkable happens in late 1969, when Kaya becomes the lead suspect in the murder of a local man. Where the Crawdads Sing is at once an exquisite ode, I didn't write that, exquisite ode to the natural world, a heartbreaking coming-of-age story, and a surprising tale of possible murder. This movie reminds us that we are forever shaped by the children we once were and that we are all subject to the beautiful and violent secrets that nature keeps. If you don't want to see it after that, I don't know what would make you want to see it. That is good stuff. Sounds intriguing. Sounds awesome. And uh, I am, again, excited to be able to use this movie for our passage to be able to, as our hook, to talk about spiritual truth. And that's what we've been doing over the last six weeks is using some movies that came out this summer, some popular movies, uh, to be able to use those as a springboard to talk about spiritual truth. And so, again, as little as I could find about this movie, I watched a couple trailers. I watched, you know, saw some descriptions and reviews. Here is the quickest and best connection that came to me as I was reading through this. This part right here that I just read to you a moment ago, abandoned by her family as a child in the marsh. Well, you know, there's this guy in the Bible that was also abandoned by his mother in the marsh, in the reeds among the river, a man by the name of Moses, Moses. And so we are gonna check out a little bit of Moses' story beginning in Exodus 2, where this part happens. And so if you've got your Bible, you've got your notes, your outline, tablet, whatever you brought with you, uh, we're gonna check it out in Exodus 2, beginning in verse 2. It says, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it, in, daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. 
Now, if you grew up in church at all, this may be a very familiar passage of scripture to you. Maybe as a kid, maybe in vacation Bible school, you like, you know, did one out of like paper, like you built a little basket and you put Moses in the basket and you put it on, you know, maybe even did something like that. But it's a very familiar passage of scripture. One of the things that I think we do need to know about this passage of scripture is going into it uh, in this chapter, chapter two, is that right before this in chapter one, we see that Pharaoh out of fear orders the slaughter of all of the newborn sons. Now he does this out of fear. The fear that he has is that the Israelites are uh, you know, just giving birth to kids and kids and he's worried that they're gonna like, have so many people that eventually they'd be able to take him over and, you know, and take, to take him out of his position of power. So he says, well, I'm gonna take care of that. And so he decides to have all of the newborn boys slaughtered. So the mom, Moses' mom right here, what she begins to see and she begins to hide him. She hid him for three months and then she puts him in this basket and trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, she puts him in this basket. Then this story plays out. Now, one of the coolest things I think about this story that you may have never known uh, is that the word for basket right here is the same exact word for the term ark that we see with Noah. Now you think about it, ark and basket, and the, uh, the, really the differences that we have is that we know the dimensions of the ark, like that it's huge, right? That it's, you know, however many football fields long, it's like three stories high. It's this gigantic boat, right? In a sense, and it, but it's called an ark. And, it's, and then this with Moses is a basket. Both of these things, were to house one individual or a couple individuals in the ark's case, but to put somebody in it, Moses into the basket, Noah into the ark, and these baskets or these arks, they delivered that individual. And not only delivered that individual, but delivered that individual so that that person could then deliver more people, deliver more people to freedom. And you think about this passage of scripture and realizing that Moses is delivered out of such a horrible situation and the fact that he should have been ultimately killed as a child. But when delivering happens, delivering almost always faces opposition. Almost always faces opposition. So anytime something is delivered, it's going to have some struggles. There's going to be some obstacles along the way. Now, my wife is an amazing uh, physician. She is a neonatologist. So she is somebody that works with newborn babies that typically have complications when they are born. And so she sees these things like firsthand. And I think even to the birth of my, my own daughter, uh, I had one of my kids that was blessed with her daddy's big, beautiful head and it couldn't quite come out as easily as she should have. And they had to use like this vacuum, like this like plunger, you know, to like help get her out, right? And so like there's this obstacle that she comes out, you know, and she's finally able to happen. And so she's delivered, but there was an obstacle. There was, a, there was some problems. There were some situations that, you know, ultimately had to be addressed. But delivering always faces some sort of opposition. Maybe for you in the way that you've been delivered or are being delivered out of something that you are facing opposition as well. Moses, what we see here in this last verse is that Moses means to draw out, that she drew him out of the water. You see, God's hand is on Moses to draw him out, just like his hand is on each one of us, to draw us out, to deliver us. And God would use Moses to ultimately draw his people out of Egypt. Now leads me to our very first point, and that's this. God provides a way when it feels like there is no way. He provides a way when it feels like there is no way. You think back to this passage of scripture with Moses, that all of the newborn boys were being slaughtered. They were being killed. And Moses' mom, first of all, was able to hide him for three months. Now, if you've ever, if you have kids or been around zero to three month old kids, they make a lot of noise, right? There's crying and there's all these things going on, but she was able to hide him for three months. And she gets to that point where she's not able to do so any longer. So she puts him in this basket. She puts the basket into the river bank. And of all the people that could have found Moses, it's Pharaoh's daughter. The one individual that could actually pick up Moses and not worry about the fear of him being slaughtered. 
the one person. And then to make it even another step to see how God provides for Moses is that you go another step further in that Moses's sister comes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, do you want me to find somebody to nurse this child, to take care of this child for you? Now, as a Hebrew, as an Israelite child, you did not go to Pharaoh's daughter. You didn't just walk up to royalty and start talking. So it's a miracle that she was actually able to get a word in and then ultimately that she wasn't in trouble or maybe you know, taken off or maybe killed herself. But Pharaoh's daughter responds and said, yeah, take, you know, if you would do that, that would be great. So hands off the baby to ultimately Moses's mom who gets to raise her own child and not just raise her own child, but Pharaoh's daughter pays for it. Like how crazy the story of Moses that we see where God, his providence in his life just continues to open up these doors and make this way because when it seemed like there was no way, God provided a way, just like he does for you and me. And so being delivered out of sin for each one of us, we will face opposition. And the opposition could be us. It could be our selfish desires. It could be somebody else or something else going on in our life, but we will all face opposition. And salvation is is our deliverance, is God's deliverance for us as he frees us from the bondage of sin. You see, God's deliverance comes in this covenant relationship that he's made with us. He's made this covenant relationship with his people to be able to provide a way to ultimately rescue us and to free us from our sin. And he made this covenant to break us free and God sticks to his covenant his promise. He sticks to it. He holds to it. And God will use even our relationships, the people in our life, to be able to help minister and to provide for people that we know or that we are encountering and be able to provide and to help those people. God uses relationships. He uses people just like you and me to be able to reach others. Now, I think about this part and to realize that there are people in my life, and I know there are people in your life, that God has purposely put in your life. They've been sent by God to help to be there for you. You have those people in your life. But also, you are that person in somebody else's life. That God is using you to be able to provide and to help and to maybe ease a situation or to help somebody be able to walk through a tough time in their life. And I think about what we just celebrated just a moment ago and the fact that we've almost got this money raised to help uh, you know, buy this, this clothing truck. Now, the clothing truck itself is a tool. But what happens with the clothing truck, along with the other two trucks that we feed so many people out of, we are able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this community. We're able to help clothe people. We're able to help give and provide food for people. You see, God provides through his church. He provides through his church. And each one of us gets the opportunity to be a part of that. We have been through things in our own life that we need people in our life to provide as well, right? We each have situations and seasons of life that we go through and we struggle with and we face and, and we, need to like, we need somebody else there to walk through it with us. But where it doesn't seem like there is a way, God provides a way. Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt held back? Have you ever felt like there's an obstacle or you're blocked out or there's, there's no way through? Have you ever felt like your life is just like, man, I, I don't know what's gonna happen next. I don't know what to do next. We've all been there. Maybe you've felt like my marriage is at the end. There's so much brokenness and there's so much turmoil and struggle and trial in our marriage that like it's over. And you begin to think about like, well, what would it look like to not be in this marriage any longer? Let me tell you this, God restores broken marriages. You may think the grass looks greener on the other side. And let me give you a little bit of advice. Water the grass in your own yard. I mean it. Put some effort in. Change what you're doing. Whatever is not working, then remove it and do something that does work. God provides and restores relationships. He delivers people and he uses people in our lives to be able to do that and to carry us out and to ultimately deliver us. 
Now, we may think that things are falling apart sometimes, but always remember that God has a mysterious providence, that he's always providing, that he's always working. We just need to see it. And God works out his perfect will in amazing ways. But we need to trust in it. And we need to trust in him. If you look at Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now you may have seen this passage of scripture before, but this phrase, all things work together for good. Now let me make two little just things that we can note right here. All things work together for good. Not all things that happen are good. But he, all of these things he can take and he can work them together for our good. The other thing is that he doesn't cause all of these things to happen. Our God is good. He is righteous. He is faithful. He cannot cause evil. That's not who he is. That is not in his character. So we need to understand that when we read a passage of scripture like this, and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, you look at the life of Moses, the things that he was going through, the the slaughter of, of innocent children, the, the fact that he was put into this basket, ultimately found by Pharaoh and be able to be raised by his own mother and then to ultimately rise to a position of power in Egypt. This is a, this is a person that you know, was able to, to live this life and then ultimately carry the Israelites out of their slavery. God provided. He did, not all these things that happened to Moses were good, but God worked all of these things together for good. You see, in God's sovereignty, he, doesn't, he, he permits things to happen. He doesn't necessarily cause evil things to happen, but in his sovereignty, in his kingship, his control, his supreme authority, he allows things to happen. Now, when bad things happen in our sinful world, God can work through these tragic events to bring bring blessing to his people. The tragic events that we have in our life. I think over the last two years, it's been neat to really see uh, as a church that we have begun several different ministries that that do this. Uh, We've began a few ministries, one called Celebrate Recovery. For anybody that is struggling with an addiction to drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, food, shopping, like there's a whole big gambit of things that it covers. But to be able to serve and to help people, to minister to people and to help them work through this recovery, to be able to walk through that together with other people that are struggling with the same things. But also something like grief share. To be able to have an opportunity for those that are grieving the loss of a spouse, loss of a loved one, to be able to walk through it with other people that are going through the same thing to be able to walk through that together, to be able to minister to one another. Another one's divorce care for people that are navigating through a divorce or maybe coming on the back end of already being divorced and to be able to walk through it with people who have been there. You see, some of these toughest and most difficult seasons in these people's lives are now being used to help minister to other people because when it felt like there was no way, God provided a way through his church, but also through people that are here in this place that have been doing and going through and navigating through the same things. We have a men's addiction group that, for men that are struggling with addiction to uh, you know, sexual addiction or pornography. We have another group that is for uh, mental health and helping people walk through that and navigating through mental health. We have another group that's uh, dealing with abuse survivors that we, we're hoping to bring back this fall as well to be able to help and to support those that need a way. We wanna provide a way. We want God to use this place, to use these people, to use us as a church, to be able to reach and administer to those people. And so as the terminology says in Celebrate Recovery, your hurt, habit, or hangup can always be healed. It can always be healed. But also, as in grief share, your mourning. Your mourning can become your ministry. The way that you are mourning through the loss of a loved one, you are then able to minister to somebody else. But we have to look at these opportunities and to step forward and take them. 
Now, if we dive on into this passage of scripture a little bit more and we drop down into Exodus 2, 23 to 25, towards the end of this chapter, it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You see, Israel had cried out because of their slavery and their need for help. And God hears their cry because he knows them. Why does he know them? Because they're his people. God hears your cry. He hears you cry out. And God remembers his promise to make Israel a great nation because he saw and he knew their affliction under Egypt. And he knows what you are going through right now. He knows the season of life that you're in. He knows the struggles that you're facing, the trials that are coming at you. But he also knows what is to come. God is able to not only take into account history and present, but also to take into account what's coming down the road, the future. Which leads me to our second point, and that is this. God always hears the petitions of his people. He always hears the petitions of his people. The petition to God, meaning we get to pray to God. We get to take things to God. We not only have uh, the privilege, but we also have the responsibility to take the things to God, to, to go to him in prayer during the good times and the bad times. A lot of times we just want to come to him in the bad times, don't we? We just want to bring, like, God, I'm struggling with this. God, this is coming at me. This is attacking me. God, I need you to get me through this. But we also need to sing his praises and give him thanks when things are going well. To thank him for the answers to prayer that we see in our life. But to also just to make our requests known. God wants to know you more. He wants to connect with you more. He wants to hear from you more. But we need to take our requests and we need to make them known to him. Now because God is righteous, he comes to the aid of victims in suffering and injustice. Now it's not always how we want and it's definitely not always when we want, is it? but he comes to the aid of those that are struggling and suffering or those that are facing injustice. Our righteous and faithful God remembers his covenant, meaning he remembers his promise made to those that love him. You know, you think about what the Israelites were going through. The Israelites for 430 years were enslaved to Egypt. And I don't think God intervened during this 430 year period because I think the nation was growing so rapidly and it was this, this crucible of, of, of hardship that they were learning and developing a hardiness to be able to actually uh, you know, survive once they reached the promised land when they had to then kind of start over that there needed to be some strength, there needed to be some, uh, some callousness, some things built up to be able to take this on and say, when we get to this land, we need to be ready and we need to be prepared. God was putting them through a season of preparation. It seemed like a season of struggle, but it was ultimately a season of preparation. Maybe that's for you, that you're going through a season of preparation right now. Because I think we really need to understand that oftentimes our hardships can lead to healthiness. Our hardships can lead to healthiness. I think about my own kids. Uh, my, my oldest is very um, kind of easygoing and, you know, go with the flow. My youngest is not. Uh, and she learns how to uh, work the system uh, in the sense that she knows that if she gets upset and cries about something, that her older sister is going to take care of it. And so if older sister has a, has a toy and younger sister wants the toy, she just cries. And the older sister's like, oh, well, here, and gives her the toy. And it's like, well, I just didn't want her to cry. Well, we're in this time where I am telling my oldest daughter to say, I'm saying, be mean, tell her no, but she'll cry. I don't care. Like be mean, stand up. She needs to understand that she can't just cry and get her way. That's not going to help her down the road, right? Like she needs, we all need these moments of being able to have things not go our way or to go against us to help us strengthen, to help us have a little bit of hardness to us so that we can be ready for what is to come. God knows what is to come in our life. 
A lot of times the seasons and the things that we are struggling through and facing is because God is putting us through a season of preparation. And God hears our cry and he will answer in his perfect timing. God has a different perspective. See, he sees past, present, and future, and he considers it all in his perfect will and his perfect timing. If we jump ahead to Exodus 6, see more about what's going on with Moses and the enslaved uh, Israelites. In verse 4, he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now this passage of scripture right here, God recalls this covenant that he's made with the Israelites to give them the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. He's made this covenant and to promise this to them. And God hears their, Israel's cries and their, their groanings of, of being enslaved and hardship and struggling that they're going through. And as we talked about just a moment ago, God hears those petitions so that when we are going through these same kinds of things, God hears us. But we need to pray to him. We need to talk with him. We need to have this conversation with him. And in these three verses, verses six, seven, and eight, God says the, the phrasing, I will seven different times. Did you catch that? I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. You know what that tells me? Is that when we are going through so many struggles and hardships and things in our life and we take things to God, that God is making this promise to us day in and day out saying, I will. My marriage has hit the bottom. It's hit the rocks. God will. He'll take care of it. He'll work through it. He'll work in you. My life is in a, is, is in a struggle. It's, a, it's in a tough situation and a tough spot. God will. God can. You think, man, I need to, what's the next step in, uh, in, in relationships for me? And I just don't know what's next. God will. And he can. You think about stepping into the next thing in your life and you're like, maybe I need to rely or trust in something else or someone else. Or maybe it is, like we talked about a moment ago with Celebrate Recovery, maybe it is a, a drug or an alcohol or a next sexual encounter to understand that those things are not going to fulfill what you have going on in your life. Only God can and God will. I think that's important for us to be able to realize because Moses is walking through these things with the Israelites and God's making this promise saying, I will. Which leads me to our third point. God promises to deliver his people from their affliction. He promises to deliver his people from their affliction. Because of this covenantal relationship with his people, the Lord remains faithful to his promises and to his people. And Moses needed to be reminded of God's work, but not God because he's God, right? He didn't need to be reminded because he's God and we are his. We are his people. He always remembers us. Now his hearing and remembering our personal experiences which call for a corrective action in our life. And they are expressions of his abiding love. The fact that he loves us, that he's calling for correction in our life. You see, his love is not this mountain peaks and valleys kind of thing that goes on. His love doesn't ebb and flow. His love is constant and it is continuing. He always loves you. He is walking through the very things that you are facing right now with you side by side. He is right there. 
We may pass through dark and trying times, but that doesn't mean that God has forgotten us or that he no longer loves us. You see, we need to understand that, that God has the whole scope of history at, at, like in front of him. He has seen the beginning. He is seeing the now, and he sees what is to come in the end. And he's looking at the entire big story of it when he is talking to us and he's working in our life. The Israelites went through this period of 430 years. They went through struggle and they walked through all of these different things and to ultimately get to the promised land. God was working the whole time. And I'm sure they had moments and times and seasons in their life where they thought, is God there? Is he working in my life? We want things to happen and we want things to happen now, don't we? We want it to happen how we want it and when we want it. And if it doesn't, then we're like, well, is God even there? Is he even listening? Does he even know what's going on in my life? Let me tell you this, he knows. He has a reason why he hasn't acted yet on your behalf and you just don't know it yet. But he does. And his love will reach out based on his knowledge of what is to come and when it is best for us. So how does God deliver us? We can see that in these last couple of points, but also in these verses that we just read in verses six through eight, that there are several gospel concepts that are mentioned right here in these I will statements. The first thing is this, letter A, he liberates us. He liberates us. He says, I will bring you out from the burdens and I will deliver you from slavery. The fact is that he has set us free. He is liberating us. He is setting us free. In the, one of the famous lines from one of my other favorite movies of all time, Braveheart, William Wallace, what is he makes that statement? He was like, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like to understand that our lives, our physical lives may be taken. They will be taken. They will be lost, but our souls are are free when we are in Christ. That's what we need to understand. We need to understand that our soul's freedom is secure in Jesus and what he did on the cross. That we will lose our physical life, but it's just a small time in a, in a small blip in, in, in eternity. And to realize that through a relationship with Christ, we can focus in on our freedom being secure in who Jesus is. Freedom is what our heart longs for and it only comes in Jesus Christ. He liberates us. But letter B, he also redeems us. As it says in verse six, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and acts of judgment. To redeem, meaning to deliver or to set free by paying a price, to exchange one thing for another. God redeems enslaved people and he sets us free. Now I wanna give you this statement here. Seeing Christianity just as a political platform or a collection of rules or even a set of religious values and practices is to miss it entirely. Christianity is ultimately about a person Jesus Christ alone, the one who redeems. It's about him. It's not about a political platform or a set of rules or religious values and practices. If that's what we think it is, we're missing out on the whole thing entirely. But Christianity is ultimately about a person. It's about Jesus Christ alone, the only one who can redeem us. See, our sin is fully paid for by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have sin in our life that prevents us from being united with God, but Jesus comes to make a way when it seems like there is no way. And he dies on the cross in our place. He provides a way out in forgiveness of our sins. And ultimately when that happens, let her see, he adopts us. He adopts us. He says, I will take you to be my people in verse seven and I will be your God. Just like this girl Kaya in the movie was alienated from her family and society. Uh, as sinners, we are alienated from God. We're separated from him. And just as we are called out of sin and into God's kingdom, we are also called out of our alienation and into God's family. Think about that. God is making a way out. He is providing a way. He is freeing you. 
He has paid the price of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you surrender and turn your life over to Jesus, you get to experience everything that comes with that. One of the coolest things is the fact that you get to be adopted into his family, into our family. And I wanna just maybe for you to let you know, like if you have surrendered your life to Jesus or maybe you're, you're doing that here today, welcome to the family. Let me go a little bit more detail. Welcome to our really, really messed up family. We got issues. We got situations. We've got problems. We have different interests, different backgrounds, different political parties, different skin colors, different hobbies, different things that, that we are interested in. We have crazy uncles. We have, you know, aunts that sit in the back corner smoking cigarettes, telling dirty jokes. We've got it all, okay? We've got everything. We are a messed up family. We are messed up people. We are imperfect people who are children of the perfect God, though. And I can tell you this. We don't claim to know all of the answers, but we claim to know the one that does. It's Jesus. He's the only one. So he adopts us into this family. But also letter D, he gives us an inheritance. He gives us an inheritance. He gives us this, this gift, this, this blessing as we leave this earth, something to, to bring with us, something to go into and to gather and to be a part of. He gives us an inheritance. And I wanna just make this statement. If you don't like loud noises, if you don't like people, you're gonna hate heaven because it's gonna be one big party. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be a perfect place in the presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ sitting right there to be able to walk the, the streets of gold with those that have surrendered and given their life to Jesus. That is our hope. That is what we long for. And we get this inheritance. As he says in this verse, he says, I will bring you into the land and I will give it to you for your possession. He was talking about the Israelites and receiving the promised land. And then once Jesus comes, the promised land is becoming heaven and being united with him for all eternity. There will be no ultimate conflict between truth and joy because God is truth and will give everlasting and eternal joy to those who seek him. That's what he wants to do. He wants to provide you blessing. He wants to give you an inheritance. He wants to, to make something available to you when you give your life over to him. And so what I wanna be able to tell you today is this. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online, we are sinners separated from God for all eternity. But Jesus made a way when it felt like there was no way. And the fact is, is that he died on the cross. But when he died on the cross, he took the sins of the entire world, mine and yours as well. He took them on his own shoulders, on his own heart and soul. And then he went to the cross and then he died a perfect death to sacrifice, to redeem us, to pay the ultimate price so that we could be adopted into the family of God and receive the inheritance of being united with him for all eternity. You know, Jesus is the greater Moses, right? He came to deliver us, not from slavery on our physical body, but from slavery on our eternal soul. He is greater. And in the same way Moses leads Israel out of Egypt's slavery and into the promised land, Jesus leads us out of sin slavery and into an eternal heaven with him. That's our hope. That's what we long for. He said, you know, as Moses was, was rescued and delivered from Pharaoh's, you know, decree of killing all of the newborn sons. And then all, he goes from there to being delivered in a basket to Pharaoh's daughter. To be able to live this life to then flee, help the Israelites flee from the Egyptian slavery. To lead them. To help deliver them. Jesus came to this earth to deliver you and to deliver me from our own sin that holds us back, that prevents us from being united with God. My question for you today is this, would you trust in him? 
Would you surrender your life? Have you given your life over to him? Because it's not about the good things that you do, but it's about the great work that he has already done for you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I wanna thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, I wanna thank you for uh, your word and how it speaks to each one of us. God, I wanna thank you for this passage of scripture that we're able to read, Lord, in the story of Moses. And Father, as Moses walked this earth, just like each and every one of us, and God, we were able to look at this passage out of Exodus 2 and Exodus 6 to see how, Lord, you provided for him. And then, Father, you also not only provided for him, but you provided for your people by using Moses to do that. Father, you provide for each one of us. You provide a way for us to be delivered from our own sin. Father, you have provided Jesus to lead us out, to liberate us, to redeem us, to adopt us into your family, and to ultimately give us an inheritance. Father, we get to be united with you when we surrender our life to your son, Jesus. Father, that's my hope for today, is that each one of us would humbly surrender our lives and to turn our lives over to you, to allow you to be the Lord and the Savior of our life. God, it's not about the things, the good things that we can do to earn that, but it's about what Jesus did on the cross for us. Father, there is a whole long years of eternity that await. And Father, by one simple action, one simple choice to surrender to you, Father, we can be united with you and experience that in your presence. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.